Welcome to week 37, all the balls. Justin Miller, Connor Howe, Jake Platter is actually at the Celtics game tonight, so he unfortunately will not be joining us from the game. Lucky him, he gets to see a Celtics team that just lost Jalen Brown in actually kind of a big game tonight because they really need a win. But we kind of have bigger news before he gets on the call. John Rook will be joining us tonight, all the balls, week 37. For those of you that don't know John Rook, he, as, he actually was my professor at Dean College. He's been a professor there for a couple of years now, doing some sports stuff, basically running the sports broadcasting program over there at Dean College in Franklin. Hello, Mom. Thank you for listening and commenting. But also, John Rook, he's been the in-stadium voice for the Patriots for a very long time. So he's at all the home games. I've seen him in a lot of the ceremonies. Big, big-time Patriots fan, obviously. Also, play-by-play voice of the Providence Friars for, it seems like, 50 years, but He's been calling Providence Friars basketball games for a very long time, so a big college basketball guy, a big basketball guy in general, baseball, football, hockey, really a big sports guy in general. Also went to the University of Texas at Austin, 1981 graduate, so between working with the Patriots, working with the Friars, working at Dean College, definitely keeping busy, writing for the Patriots every week on Patriots.com. We're lucky to have John Rook joining the show. He'll be calling in about 8 o'clock. We'll actually be calling him, but Connor, are you ready? I am, you know, it's always good. We have, we've been due for another guest, so it's been, it's been good to have another great guest on the show to boost it up. John Rook is PC basketball commentator for a long time. Um, I know I want to ask him who his favorite PC basketball players or who his couple are, and I got, I got one I'm thinking about that I really wanted to mention. I don't know if you want, want me to get it off my chest right now. I just can't, hey, just can't hold him. Yeah, God, sham God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting to see what he says about him. I'm, yeah, definitely going to ask him some Friars questions. David Duke just went to the NBA draft, see how he thinks he's going to be in the NBA, and obviously going to talk a lot of Patriots to start with the draft just passing, seeing what he thinks of Mac Jones and all the other picks that they just made. Also, NFL schedule does come out tomorrow night. Everybody already knows their opponents, but we're going to have the dates finalized for the season, so I'm sure Patriots fans are going to be looking forward to when the Buccaneers and Tom Brady actually come to town. I'm hearing it could be Thanksgiving. I don't know if that's official, but... We get to see the Jets schedule as well. We get to see who Zach Wilson opens up against. It's going to be interesting to see what happens tomorrow night. But right now, a big Celtics game going on 8-2. to two. I wonder if Jake's even in the building yet, but hopefully he can maybe comment in the middle of the show. I doubt it, but we'll see what happens. But Lucky to have John Rook on the show. Connor, you doing well? Oh, absolutely. Cannot wait. This is going to be a fun time, I think. I'm going to ask him some good questions, some some. We got, we're talking about uh, PC basketball, talking about UMass, talking about um, a completely uh, a lot of number of things. He does radio, he does TV, so talking about the difference between both, talking about his time commentating on TV for the Spurs. Right, yeah, it's going to be interesting between the Spurs. It seems like he's done everything. So we'll be asking him a lot of questions. Broadcasting career, obviously Texas also has a new coach in Chris Beard. I'll probably mention that as well. Going to have a lot of insight, so stick in there, whoever's listening. Thanks again. I'll be calling John Rook in approximately six minutes at 8 o'clock. But before we do that, some devastating news in the city of Boston, in the NBA. Currently watching the Celtics game right now. They're winning 8-3, to three, but they lost their second best player. And they didn't just lose him for a couple of games. They lost him for the season. They lost him for the rest of the regular season. They lost him for the playoff run. If you're a Celtics fan, I'm sure you're shaking your head and thinking maybe you had a chance. I thought maybe they could go kind of far. Probably not to the championship, the, the finals, but... You lose Jalen Brown for the season, that's a, a massive hit. Yeah, tough. And I was just looking at their position last night because I don't follow intently because that's not my squad. But it is a tough blow for them. They're sitting currently at the seventh spot, if I'm correct. And they're about uh, a couple games back in New York. And they're about a game, two games back in Miami. Um, so it's, it's an uphill battle for them. Um, and then this blow just doesn't help at all. Um, they're gonna write this down as a lost season. Um, my question is, if this if this the season is over, um, are we look who are we looking at? Who who in the Celtics either building or players on the court? Who are you looking at the mo- with not? I don't want to say the most blame, but the person that needs to. He needs to be humbled or be left the building. Because some people need to do, they need to be called for jobs. Honestly, I hate to say it, but it's not like you can fire the whole team. So if, if anyone goes, I believe it's probably going to be Brad Stevens if it's anybody. 
because I just can't see Danny Ainge leaving after how long he's been there. It's kind of wild. Having, having ties to the Celtics for playing there for so long and just being there for a while in general. But I think if anybody does go, I'm afraid it could be Brad Stevens. But again, we'll see what happens with the playoffs. I'm afraid people are going to be making some excuses. You know, Jalen Brown got hurt, so we didn't get to see the full team. But I mean, COVID's been a big problem for basically every team in the NBA, not just the Celtics. The Celtics have been affected but more than other teams have, but still, you get Adam Fournier, you make all these moves, you bring in Jabari Parker, the Celtics, they just haven't been right for the whole season. And I know COVID's a big problem, but I don't think you can blame it all on COVID. It has to be blamed on somebody. And like I said, you can't fire the whole team, so if you have to fire someone, yeah, the Celtics have been good under Brad Stevens, but it's not like they've made it to the NBA Finals in any of the seasons. No, and... As kind of what I was alluding to, um, some people are talking about Brad Stevens and I respect, and I think he's a good coach. I think he's, I think there's some things he clearly struggles in with the with the basketball game. Some things, you know, he needs to go back to the office and learn. I'm not sure if we should be calling for his job after this season. I mean, we'll we'll see again. We'll see if they do in the playoffs. If it's if yeah. it's ugly in the first round and it, and the playing is ugly, then you. Know, then maybe we need to start asking more questions. But um, we're, I think people are starting to plant the seed right now. So I don't think that's a very good sign for his job security. No, I mean, I'm definitely nervous. The thing is, if the Celtics lose this game to Miami right now, currently up one point so early in the first quarter. But if they lose this game now, you're looking at the Celtics 95% most likely to be in the playing game. And that's something that obviously it hasn't been in the NBA for a while. It wasn't last year with the bubble, but now... Lakers aren't happy about it. The Lakers aren't happy either. A lot of teams with injuries definitely not happen. But you're going to be in a situation where you're most likely going to have to be in a playing game. If you lose that, you're still alive. But if you lose two in a row, you're basically done. And right now, you could be playing a team like the Washington Wizards that are red hot. Russell Westbrook just breaking the record, NBA record, for triple doubles passing Oscar Robertson, which is pretty amazing to see last night. And you don't want to see a team like that in the bubble, in any bubble, on your home court, in Washington, in a playing game, wherever it is. Celtics just don't look well right now. We got a couple minutes, so I do... Oh, we got two minutes on the top. So I will, I will speak to Russell Westbrook and having an absolutely incredible season again. He's, he's on path to have average of his fourth triple-double per the... Fourth triple-double in a season for five straight seasons. I In five years. Absolutely incredible. One of the greatest players to ever touch a basketball. Um, he gets a lot of heat. Um, just because he hasn't won a chip and just because players like Kevin Durant have left him high and dry. He's has played played with players like James Harden. They haven't made it all the way. In Washington, he's had Bradley Beal, but by no means stretch is this a very good team. I, I'm very interested to see what Washington will do in the East. I think I think what them as a team, they're capable of putting up one forty on you yeah, in regulation. It's gonna crap on me that team. I mean, they they won't they might not play a ton of defense. I think they're getting better, um, but yeah, they have no problem putting up one forty on you. And they don't they don't care who it is. They don't care if it's Brooklyn. They don't care if it's Philly. They will keep pace with you all day long. They got Russell Westbrook running up and down. They got Bradley Beal sniping the crap out of the ball. It's a lot of fun. They got a lot of young players too that are that are pretty decent. Yeah, and especially without Jalen Brown, it's a team that the Celtics don't want to see. I mean, I'm sure any other team really doesn't want to see the Washington Wizards, and now just getting the news that Kemba, Kemba Walker was hurt, but he's out of the locker room. So Kemba Walker just got hurt in the Celtics game. And he's on the, court. on the court now. So that's good news, but I don't think it's really going to matter in the long run. If you're without one of your two all-stars in Jalen Brown, the work's going to be heavy for Jason Tatum the rest of the season in the playoffs, however long the Celtics do end up going. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But for those of you that did just join the show, in about one minute we're going to be calling John Rook in-stadium voice of the New England Patriots. Voice of the Providence Friars, graduate of University of Texas. Sorry we were having trouble playing this video. You got to be kidding me. We're going to continue <laughs> the show because we're going to start, end the live video, and continue it again at a terrible time for that to happen. Oh, it's 8 o'clock right in the morning. But no, we're going to end the live video. We're going to go back to Facebook. For those of you listening on the voice memos, we're going to start another live video because I don't know why there was trouble playing the live video in the first place. So let's get the live video back to going. And let's see what happens here because this connection, the Wi-Fi here is usually pretty good. We moved here for a reason and now it's just not working. So we're going to start the live video again. We're going to go live and we're going to see what happens right now when I click this blue button. Three, two, one. Let's have the live video going. Thank you for listening on Voice Memos and here we go. It's loading. Still at 8 o'clock here. So 8 o'clock. John knows we're calling soon. He's probably right by his phone right now. I hope to. God. <laughs> this live video better load. 
because our Facebook audience is going to be very sad. If not, I'm going to change to Xfinity Wi-Fi. We're back on the air. John Rook is going to be joining us in a second on the show, so maybe we'll call him 801. I'm sure he's not going to be too mad at us. John Rook, live, all the balls, week 37. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We're back. That was weird. I don't know what happened. I probably did something. But we're back now. We are here. So for those of you that weren't listening before, now we're going to actually call John Rook for real. Here we go. In-stadium voice of the Patriots. Play-by-play voice of the Providence Friars. One of my best professors in school at Dean College. Hoping he answers the phone. Justin Miller, Connor Howe, and John Rook. John, what's up? This is Justin. How are you doing? Hey, Justin. How are you, buddy? Good. I'm here with Connor Howe, graduate of UMass Amherst. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem at all. Glad to help. We appreciate it. Yeah, so we're just going to we'll talk to you for a little while, all the time you have, but good to hear from you. Obviously, one of my professors at Dean, so I've known you for a little while, but the draft just happening for the New England Patriots, obviously, last week. We just want to hear to start the show your overall feelings on what the Patriots did with Mac Jones and all their other draft picks. Well, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, we, we don't really know much about it until we actually see these guys get out on the field, but I'm as surprised as anybody else that a uh, guy like Jones uh, slipped down to 15, So, uh, and I'm not surprised the Patriots decided to take him. Uh, I thought that they would probably feel like going a little bit more defensively, but they actually uh, solved that issue with their second-round pick. So, um, I, a little surprised, but... I did think that they would keep the pick. I didn't think that they would trade up. So that was the one thing I did get right about about everything. And it seems like, you know, they've got decent depth now, especially that they pull out through the free agent route. So it'll be interesting to see this team, actually, when it's able to get out on the field here in a couple of weeks, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of uh, they, they play out and they mesh out. I, I think there'll be a lot of expectation, and I'm not so sure that that should be the right thing to do. I mean, that's normally what we do around here. We put expectation on people and, yeah. uh, and, and on our teams and on our athletes because of the, the history that we have over the last 20 years or so. But uh, I think, you know, this team will still probably struggle a bit on offense initially. And I think they probably improved somewhat defensively. And I think that's where championships are largely won. So we'll see if they've taken the steps in the right direction. Yeah, and obviously like the offseason additions between Matthew Judon, having Kyle Van Noy back. Obviously, Dante Hightower is going to be back from what happened last season. And now bringing in a guy like Christian Barrymore, a lot of people say he could have been one of the best defensive players in the draft, and the Patriots just traded up for him. I think he could be very good for the future. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people think. They, you know, they're, they're thinking that he was a first-round talent, and, and they were able to get him in the second round. So, you know, and I happen to you know agree with that. I've had a couple of people, uh, you know, NFL uh, analysts that um, uh, I've talked with as well over the course of the last couple of weeks, and they thought that uh, Barmore was uh, very much a uh, uh, a steal, if you will, in that regard. But that also tells you, well, why did he slip down that far? And, of course, there's some issues they think maybe about whether or not his head's always in the game. And, and, and look, I don't think that anybody who plays for Nick Saban uh, is, is going to be too much of a slouch, number one. Yeah. And number two, if Bill Belichick's going to ask Nick Saban his honest opinion about some of his players... I don't think Nick Saban's going to, you know, sell him a bill of goods just to get his kid drafted. Exactly. So, uh, you know, they they have a relationship with each other that, uh, you know, goes just beyond coaching. So, I think if, um, you know, Nick Saban gives his okay, I think that the Patriots will probably consider that to be good enough. But they're going to do their own due diligence anyway. I know they did on Jones. So we'll we'll find out how how far the you know how deep they can go with Barmore and anybody else that they picked up. Right, and speaking about the Patriots, obviously you've worked there for a long time, being the in-stadium voice. Do you have one memory that just stands out to you more than the others since you've been with the Patriots? Hmm, probably the one game that really always stands out to me is the, the, um, the Fog game back in 95, 96, whatever that was, when I played um, um, Pittsburgh. Uh, in the uh, AFC playoffs before going to the uh, the Super Bowl against Green Bay that year. That that was pretty weird because it was an old Foxborough stadium 
and um, we couldn't see anything. So it was the first time in my life that I ever called a game off of the TV monitor. The television network at the time had to move their cameras down to field level because where the network camera positions were, uh, they, they flat out, they couldn't see anything. I mean, wow. it was literally like the stadium was in a cloud. So they scrambled and we saw them scrambling to take the television cameras down and move them down to field level. And we're all looking at each other like, should we follow? Should we go with them? And they're like, well, we can call the game off the TV monitors. And so that's basically what we did because the old uh, press box at Old Foxborough Stadium was really high up with the sky. I mean, it was way up there at a steep angle. So it's uh, way more steep than what we have now. So it was difficult. We were, we were definitely in the clouds for that one. I would have to say that's probably the most unusual uh, remembrance that I've got of the 30 some odd years that I've been there. Right. Yeah, that must have definitely been weird. Absolutely. It was weird. Absolutely. Um, pleasure to have you on, John. My name is Connor Howe. Like Justin said, I'm a UMass Amherst graduate. Um, pleasure to have you. Just a question about uh, from a non-Patriots fan. The, the atmosphere of the locker room shift um, a little bit, or I shouldn't say locker room. I want to say the general building of the Patriots. Um, did that atmosphere mood kind of shift post Tom Brady into this new Cam Newton, Mac Jones era? I feel because... Bill's done a lot of things, I feel, in this offseason that, if you look at the past 20 years, are just very not Bill-esque, not in, not in his history. What can you say about that? I don't know that anything's changed. I, I think that's part of the reason why players want to come still to New England to play, because uh, I think they realize that, uh, you know, certainly Tom Brady is a huge part of, you know, what transpired over the last 20 years, but... I mean, there were other players, you know, out there on the field. I mean, Tom couldn't, you know, and, and even Giselle would say this, Tom couldn't catch the ball, he can't run the ball, you know, he couldn't tackle, you know, he didn't do any of that stuff. There had to be other guys out there. So uh, I, I feel like, um, uh, you know, the locker room culture is such that players still want to come and be a part of it and, uh, and be a part of that environment. And guys want to be coached by Bill Belichick. I think they all realize the guy's going to go down as the greatest of all time, and they like to say that, you know, they've been coached by him, they've been mentored by him, you know, they've been instructed by him, that kind of way. I mean, just like, you know, guys used to talk, you know, years ago about being coached by Paul Brown or Vince Lombardi. I mean, it's the mm. same thing, and it's just a different generation. And, and I also think, it, you know, well, I think there was, a, a, to an extent, uh, you know, uh, a, um, a sort of a culture of wanting to come play with Tom. I, I think that too many people forget that a lot of guys want to come play for Bill because they crave the structure, they crave the discipline, mm. and they feel like perhaps that can help, you know, you know, bring more talent out of them. So the locker room culture, I think, is, is, um, is still uh, evident, especially around the league for the Patriots. Right, and John, obviously a lot of people listening right now to the show, and again, thanks for, having, thanks for being on, but you've done a lot of stuff in your career besides being with the Patriots between working for the San Antonio Spurs, working for the Providence Friars. What got you into sports broadcasting at the first place? For those of you that don't know, John went to the University of Texas, but you've done a lot in your career. So what got you into broadcasting to start? Uh, it was a mistake, <laughs> yeah. in all honesty. Um, I was a, uh, a journalism major, and it was uh, my night to uh, lay out our, our student newspaper, The Daily Texan, uh, and I got a release from the women's athletic department because it was segregated at the time. And, and um, they were, uh, put out a release that they were going to do a campus-wide audition for the first uh, radio voice of the Lady Longhorn basketball team. And I thought, oh, shoot, that'd be cool. I'll try that because I'd just done a big internship summer before at a radio station in Houston. And uh, I thought, you know, that might be kind of fun to try. And so, I, you know, we put it in the paper the next day, and I sent in an application, and and um, and uh, I got selected as uh, I got it. You know, I'm sure a couple of hundred kids that you know were wanted to wanted to do it, and I got selected as one of the five finalists, which I thought was really cool. And then they um, uh, had to sit down, as I remember it, and they had these huge old reel-to-reel -reel, uh, recording machines and all this, you know, old-time setup, and I'm like. Oh, I'd never seen stuff like this before, right? Uh, it was antiquated even for me back in 1979 when the, when this happened. And um, we did uh, sight unseen. 
a uh, like a five minute uh, to ten minutes uh, piece of a scrimmage that the women's basketball team was having against Texas Southern University. I'll never forget that. And I was lucky because I knew some of the girls. A couple of the girls on the team were in a couple of classes that I had. And so nobody had any prep. Nobody had any chance to do any prep or learn anything. So uh, I think they wanted to see how well we you know, reacted and how we kind of like uh, really stood on our feet, right? What we would do with no prep. And so I just decided that I was going to make names up. So I made names up and I guess it must have impressed, impressed him because I got called, you know, a couple of days later by the general manager of the radio station. He said, uh, you're it if you want the job. And I'm like, uh, okay. And so that's kind of how it all started. I basically uh, turned from being a writer to being a broadcaster, you know, due to the, uh, uh, the likes or, or dislikes of, uh, of women. So there you go. That's, <laughs> that's a true story. I love that. That's that's so awesome to hear. And as Justin said, you've been a, a Providence College basketball uh, broadcaster for a long time. I just want to um, get your thoughts on what are your, uh, not, I don't want to say best, but favorite Providence College basketball players you've seen. I don't want to limit to one player. I do have one in mind I want to hear, but um, what are your favorite Providence College basketball players? Ooh, there's a ton I mean, there's some really good guys and some really talented players. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I guess the, the first one that really, you know, impressed me uh, back in the early days I called games was Eric Murdoch. Mm. And then, um, uh, you know, he certainly comes to mind. And then uh, following, uh, you know, Murdoch's time frame, uh, I probably moved toward uh, Michael Smith and Dickie Simpkins and that team. As Dickie played with, you know, Michael Jordan, as you're probably aware, the Chicago mm-hmm. Bulls for uh, and, and won three rings during uh, you know the time that Jordan won six with the Bulls. Yes. Um, and then I probably you know uh, Aaron Maxey was a really good player uh, that I recall. John Linehan was a great player. Um, wow, let's see. Who else? I'm going to forget somebody that I probably should mention. Ryan Gomes uh, was another great player. Jamel Thomas was a great player. Mm. Um, I, you know, uh, you know, God Sham God. That was. You know, I mean, guys. I mean, he's a you know a player development guy for uh, you know the Dallas Mavericks now. But I mean, uh, that was players my guy. still ask him to teach them the Sham God move. Yes. Know, of, of, you know the crossover that unreal. He had, he had as killer crossover as anybody he had back in the day. One of my favorite um, players. You know, he, so, I mean, th- those guys are all uh, extraordinary players. And then, you know, of course, a recent vintage, you know, Marshawn Brooks. Uh, yep, I Chris love Marshawn Brooks. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, oh, and I forgot one that was uh, back around 97-ish, Austin Crozier, who Ooh. had a great NBA career. Right. He played in the NBA for like 11, 12 years. Wow. So, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of guys that uh, uh, clearly have, uh, you know, been at the top of the list, have gone on and been good pros. But the best part about it is, is that, you know, the, the, the Providence has always recruited, you know, uh, players that, you know, have personality, have, you know, stood out, have been, you know, good citizens, uh, you know, pretty good students for the most part. Um, I've never really met a kid in 30 plus years of, of being a student with Providence College that you would consider, you know, uh, that's just a bad guy. I've never, it's never that's never happened, so I guess we're pretty lucky in that regard. Wow. Right. And yeah, obviously this last season was tough. I mean, it was tough for a lot of teams with COVID and everything. And speaking of this past season, obviously a great player in David Duke, now headed to the NBA. What are your ex- expectations for David Duke in the NBA? Well, uh, I mean, uh, in all honesty, uh, I don't think he's NBA ready. But he is, is leaving because he certainly has a defined skill. And, you know, and that really is, you know, what they say about the NBA is that if you've got a, a an NBA skill, uh, it, no matter what it is it may be, that, you know, you could play in the NBA. And David is certainly an NBA-level defender. Uh, you know, his jump shot is, is fine. It does need more consistency. It does need more consistency from deep. And David's biggest problem is, is that he turns the ball over too much. He just, he, he uh, likes to make the spectacular play and he'll, you know, he didn't have any problem, you know, burning out with a flat tire along the way. And unfortunately, you know, turnovers, you know, kill, especially at the collegiate level. They may not matter as much at the professional level, but that was one of the big problems that we had last year with the consistency that the team had because, you know, they just didn't value the ball enough. 
And so, uh, and plus he wasn't a real point guard. Davis trying to crave his shot because he, you know, nobody else could or nobody else would. And so he was stuck playing the point. He's kind of out of position in that regard. Mm. You know, I, I'm like everybody else. I think Davis got a chance to be drafted. Uh, you know, it, it'll be probably mid to later uh, part of the second round. And of course, when you're a mid to late second round guy, then, uh, you know, the, the, the best you could probably do is a two way contract. So, you know, um, you're not going to get anything guaranteed. And, you know, the, the upside to all this, this is what a lot of guys, you know, uh, fail to recall because they're, you know, they, they need the money or they need to do this or mama needs a new pair of shoes or whatever it might be. But you've got to work on the skills while you can and, and, and try to improve yourself to improve your standing, improve your lot. And do I think David could do that with another year in school? Possibly. Possibly, but at the same time, there's no guarantees that you can get better. And so, if you've got a marketable skill for the NBA now, maybe maybe this is the right decision for him. I wish him well. I just like you know selfishly, I like to see him come back and play another year, try to prove his skills, and then become a first round draft pick next year, which is certainly you know a doable thing as well. I mean, you know, a couple of guys from Villanova are doing that this year, you know, because they've got two got two guys are coming back for their fifth year. You know, and because they want to, you know, an extra year in college. So I guess to each his own is all you can really say. But I've seen, you know, several guys, you know, come through, uh, you know, Providence. In fact, two come to mind right off the top of my uh, head here at Providence who, you know, only stayed for a couple of years. God Sham God was one. Ben Bentel was another. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And uh, they took off for whatever reason. They both said that they wanted the money or needed the money at the time. They got drafted in the second round, and they you know, they had a, a small cup of coffee in the league, and that's it. They're yeah. gone. Yeah. And I fear the same thing will happen to David. And you know what? It'll happen again in another four or five years when they get a big-time you know recruit to come in and play because kids don't learn from history. Those who fail – to remember history are doomed to repeat it. You've heard that adage before, mm. and it's very, very true. But you can't tell that to someone who's 19 or 20 years old. Exactly. You're definitely right in that regard. You did have you did have a little bit of history as a Spurs commentator. I did want to comment a little bit on that because I did saw I did see that you commentated in the um, late 80s, and this is. Impeccable, impeccable timing. I think on your part, uh, you watched them draft David Robinson, but um, he had he had to go into the army service for two years, and you had left by the time David Robinson um, had his rookie jersey on, played his rookie yeah, season. Yeah, he. Uh, I was actually. I, I started with the Spurs in '82, and I stayed through '88. Wow. And um, uh, David Robinson was drafted when I was, uh, when I had already left the team, but I, or actually yeah, I had left the team, but I was working for the ABC affiliate in San Antonio. And we actually had the broadcast rights to carry the games, uh, over the air. So I was still technically, you know, doing their games. And, mm. uh, he okay. was, uh, I remember when he was drafted, you know, and then obviously he was talking about doing his two year naval service. And so we followed him down to his camp and, uh, outside of Jacksonville, Florida, down in Georgia. And, um, uh, and there were a lot of rumors that, you know, he was going to hold out because he didn't like the opportunity in San Antonio, that he could maybe make more money for himself or whatever it was, hmm. you know, at, at, a, at, a, at another uh, city that might have had, uh, you know, more of a media market. It could support the infrastructure a little bit better for hmm. him. And uh, you know, that actually uh, was something that I was told uh, at the time by uh, a couple of agents who were uh, I mean, God, I don't even remember the guy's name. One of them, oh, I won't be able to recall it right off the top of my head because this has been, you know. Right. Dave <laughs> Robinson has had a whole career. But um, uh, I got told by a couple of agents at the time that, yeah, he was he's leaning heavily toward not signing with San Antonio. And so that made the national news. And then uh, wow. I remember uh, he was on like a uh, – uh, it was Ted Koppel on Nightline on ABC or something, and they interviewed him, and they questioned him about that, about a local report. And he said, oh, no, that's not true at all. I'm definitely going to consider San Antonio. And and, and we all kind of like, you know, you're going to what? So that was even more news because we hadn't heard anything from him. We followed him. I followed him 1,500 miles down to Georgia, down to his camp, just to see if we could talk to him and, and tell him, you know, that, hey, you know, we're from San Antonio, this and that. We want to see what your day is like. Yada, yada. We didn't get the time of day from the guy. Nor did the base let us anywhere near him. 
Wow. So, you know, we went down there basically for nothing. You know, we were able to, you know, put something together. But, I mean, we never really got the chance to speak to him. And so when he said that, you know, to the ABC uh, people, we were like, well, that's news. And so we went and jumped all over it. And sure enough, I, I think literally a couple of weeks after I moved here, uh, he signed with the Spurs and moved there. So we were like two ships that passed in the night. It was a lot of, it was, it was pretty interesting actually at the time, but I was real happy for San Antonio. And obviously he certainly paid dividends for the franchise. He's a part of, uh, you know, what, three of their four championships, I think, that they had. Right, wow. yeah. I mean, definitely turned into a good player. John, you have like five more minutes. Is that okay? Sure, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And how, we mentioned that you, were, uh, you graduated the University of Texas. And obviously, Texas was in the news a lot lately between letting go of their head coach, Shaka Smart, and now... Chris Beard, the new head coach of the University of Texas. Any feelings on that after a disappointing, what, ha- what happened was very disappointing, unfortunately, losing to Abilene Christian in the March Madness tournament? Well, that was very disappointing indeed. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people were truly embarrassed by that. Yeah. I mean, Texas is a unique place. There's a lot of pride, but there's also, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, bluster. I mean, you know, every, uh, everything, as they say, is bigger and better in Texas, and including budgets yeah. so money has never been a problem and it's it's other than harvard it's the most well-endowed school in the country so uh they, they have a lot of money and they can cover up a lot of mistakes because they got a lot of alumni that are willing to you know get out of the situation that makes them look bad and so that's just the way it's been at texas as far as i know i mean my whole family went to school there and, and uh you know i followed suit but you know, uh, I was fortunate to go because I, I had a scholarship to go to school there, and, and it was the best opportunity for me at the time. Um, I, I think Chris Beer is a great choice. And, you know, people forget he's an alumnus. So not, not only did he go to UT, he was there not too far after the time that I was there, back in the, in the early 90s, I think it was, but, um, uh, or late 80s. But, uh, you know, he also coached. Uh, under uh, Rick Barnes as a graduate assistant when, when Coach Barnes, no, excuse me, not Rick Barnes, it was Tom Penders. So, um, I mean, he's got a tremendous amount of familiarity with uh, not only the campus, but the way business and sports are done at UT. They're, wow. they're really, there's just not a better choice. And Texas, you know, she, I'm sure is very happy that he basically told, uh, you know, Texas Tech, thanks for giving me my start, but, you know, I got to go home. So, and that's usually what happens. And that's why Texas is seen as a, as the bad guy. We're seen as the evil empire by everybody else in the state of Texas because Texas robs all the good talent. So Texas Tech, Baylor, SMU, TCU, all the schools that are down there and what was, you know, the old Southwest Conference, that's partly the reason why the Southwest Conference blew up. 25 years ago, back in 95, because of the, the jealousy and the infighting and the political nature of it all, and it drove too many schools to cheat so they could, you know, be like Texas and be like Arkansas and be like Texas A&M, and it, uh, you know, that's what SMU did when they, you know, got the death penalty in football, and uh, th- that's what led to the demise of the league. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting. It seems like every other player in college basketball is already changing teams for next season, and Texas got some big-time guys coming in as well. Yeah, they do. They definitely do. And, uh, you know, and I, that doesn't surprise me. So, you know, Chris Beard, uh, you know, has a reputation as, as being a, you know, a player's guy anyway. And he's tough, but he's fair. And uh, I think he has a really good eye for talent. I mean, look, let's face it. If you can take Texas Tech and you can take them, you know, to a Final Four and an Elite Eight and in a national championship game. I mean, Texas Tech, okay? Have you guys ever been to Lubbock? No, never. No. Well, here's you know. Let's see how let's see how popular your your podcast is because well, last time I was in Lubbock, you know, Texas Tech's campus looks like a prison. Oh like, wow! Okay, and you know the the buildings are stark. You know they're just they're brick. There's tumbleweeds rolling across campus. I mean, oh, wow. The only thing pretty about Texas Tech are the women on campus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen them on TV before, but. <laughs> I know. And I'm saying, look, and somebody is going to be offended by that, you know. So, yeah. uh, look, that, that's that's an old adage that, and an old wives' tale that's been popular in the state of Texas for a long time. In fact, I know coaches who used to use those very terms to recruit against Texas Tech. Nice. And Chris Beard was great at Texas Tech. He was great. And so that the fact that Texas is able to pull him away with the kind of dough that he's making, what is he making, $5 million a year yeah. down in Texas? I mean, you know, 
It's, it's just, you know, they've they got more money than God. What can I say? <laughs> it's crazy. It really is. Um, I just want to ask a quick question, John, before I let you go. I don't want to remind you how long you've been doing this, but your son is now the voice of the Providence Bruins. Um, how amazing is it to see him um, excel, excel now and enter this field? Well, I'm very proud of him, uh, obviously. Uh, and uh, I, I had n- absolutely zero to do with him getting that job uh, because he was a salesman, you know, for the Bruins, um, you know, for a year. And then he actually got laid off. True story, got laid off because they lay off most of their, you know, uh, uh, personnel in the offseason because they, you know, it's the way a lot of minor league teams operate. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they lay you off and then you, you know, if you were good enough, then they will bring you back for the next season. So he had gotten laid off and he got a phone call and he thought, oh, the Bruins called me. Well, maybe they want to hire me back as a sales guy. And it was actually their, uh, one of their community relations guys. And they said, we have another role in mind for you. What would you say about doing our play-by-play? And, you know, he dropped the phone, basically. And that's he did do that at Marquette where he went to school. But he wasn't, you know, uh, he just, I mean, it, it floored him because they hadn't done a broadcast in, in, gosh, I think four or five years since they'd last had a, a broadcast to work for the team. And there just wasn't a demand for it. And so uh, I guess the story goes that the AHL told him that every team needed to have one because they've gone with this, uh, streaming service called AHL TV, where every team now uh, is expected to provide a, a feed, right. you know, for home and away teams, and they needed a play-by-play guy, and they, you know, figured that you know Austin knows the team, he knows the organization, and he could call play-by-play. So let's let's hire him back, and that's how it happened. That's... Right place, right time, knowing the right people, and so this is where networking paid off for him as much as anything else did. Wow. And, you know, so that's that's why I tell, you know, my students, Justin, you know this as well as anybody. you got to network, 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 because you just don't know where the opportunity is going to come along. Yeah, you never really do know. And, I mean, you're definitely busy between working at Dean College with the Providence Friars, with the Patriots. I'm sure you're looking forward to the schedule coming out tomorrow night for the Patriots to see the actual dates of who we play. I don't know if you know any information that we don't, but I'm looking forward to see when we play the Buccaneers. <laughs> Yeah, I'm fired up for it. That'd be great. I mean, you know, they turned this into like a, a big event now. So uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun to see. I'm anticipating, you know, uh, the uh, the game with, with Tampa you know, and Tom Brady's return uh, to probably be, uh, this is just a guess. I, I'm going to guess and say it's going to be early December. And the reason why I'm saying that is because that's traditionally where Patriots Patriots have had some of their uh, their the bigger high profile opponents right. usually in late November or early December. I'm not sure that they'll they'll you know they'll do the Thanksgiving Day thing, but um, uh, you know who knows? I mean, he, listen, if they feel like they can make a big buck off of it, they're going to do it. And uh, I also think that the Patriots Buccaneers ticket will probably be one of the most difficult, if not the most pricey, tickets in recent memory in Boston sports history. Wow. How do you like that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be crazy. Well, think about it. Who the hell's going to want to give up their seat to go to that game? No one. <laughs> nobody. They're going to want to come see Tom because nobody got a chance to say goodbye to him, right? Yeah. And now he's going to be on the other side. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he's the defending Super Bowl champ. Come on. When is this ever, ever going to happen again? Like, no. never. No. So this may be the toughest ticket ever in Boston sports history to get to. Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be interesting to see who else. I mean, we know the other opponents, but all the other dates as well, the home opener and all that stuff. But again, John, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. I hope you're doing well. Once again, Justin Miller alongside Connor Howe. Unfortunately, Jake Platter, he couldn't make it. He's, he's awesome on the show with us. He's actually at the Celtics right now. Wow. Good for him, though. Yeah. No Jalen Brown, <laughs> unfortunately. Just hope you can see a good game because, boy, the Celtics really... Oh, man, alive. I don't even know where to go with those guys. It's, it's, it's hard to describe, to be quite honest with you. It's, it's not fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the Bruins can go far. We'll see with them. But... There you go. There you go. But, um, yeah, thanks again, John. We really appreciate it. Guys, it was my pleasure. Good luck to both of you. All right, thanks, John. Stay well. Thank you, John. You got it. So that was John Rook. Obviously, a lot of information covered tonight between the Providence Friars, Godsham God. A lot of other stuff. The NFL schedule maybe maybe leaking a little information. We don't know, but with the Patriots, I don't know. Maybe it will be in December. It would be weird if it was on Thanksgiving, but 
Definitely a lot of information covered almost on the phone. What was that? A half an hour, it seemed like? Pretty close. That yeah, was 28 minutes, so. That was awesome. We got a lot of insight. I think he I think he was very open, very willing to dive into a lot of things. It was it was really awesome to talk about God, shame, God. I was worried because he listed off about five or six guys before he got to him. We finally got to God, shame, God. Um, but he talked. We talked about a lot, of number of things. I think that my favorite was the David Robinson story. I had no, I don't know about you, Justin, but I had no knowledge about the whole David Robinson not wanting to go to San Antonio. Oh, I, I had no idea. Maybe then come end up coming to that's that was a wild, wild thing that. Um, I mean, you talking about someone who had feet on the ground and had personal knowledge, made made those trips out to go see David Robinson. And, got, and like, that's that's just an awesome story. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of other things. I mean, some things I didn't know. I mean, Texas Tech, the whole thing with that, I guess, doesn't seem like the best place to go. No. <laughs> I thought Texas Tech was a cool place. Chris Beard <laughs> made it seem that way. But I guess, I guess, um, but you, I mean, you got to got to also look at it from a di- different perspective, though, because he also did go to the... Um, University of Texas. That's a that's oh, yeah. a very big standing rivalry yeah. between those schools. Yeah, so maybe he doesn't like him as much, but who knows? Definitely a lot of information covered. But right now, about twenty more minutes left. Time on the show. There were some things that happened in baseball this past week, last week as well, as we did the show. But some big news. Obviously, I don't know if his career is going to continue. I assume I don't think it's going to. But Albert Pujols, one of the faces of baseball, it seems like for the last decade, definitely a name that even if you're not a baseball fan, you know who Albert Pujols is. A great career. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's been with the Angels the last couple seasons, but now they just announced the news that they wanted to release him. They think it was better for the team. He wasn't playing every day anymore, and they think they're going to be better off without him. And Albert Pujols is a guy obviously going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know if another team's going to pick him up, but if they don't, he had a hell of a career, and I was really surprised to see the news, to be honest with you. I was, and that, and that means the Angels are still going to pay out the rest of his contract, which is really weird for them to do so early in the season, but... I guess I guess they felt it was time, um, but Albert Pujols had a good, a great career. He's had a a number of career all time career home runs. I mean, the guy is his age is to be determined, but he is a great baseball player. Yeah, I mean the guy. Like I said, if you don't follow baseball, you've probably heard of the name Albert Pujols, and I don't know if he's gonna really sign on with another team. There's other teams out there, obviously in the league that aren't that good, but. At this point in his career, he's not what he used to be. He does strike out more than he ever did before. He's a guy that can come in, give you some RBIs, hit some big home runs, but I just don't know if another team's going to take a chance on him. I believe he's probably 38 or 39 already at this point in his career. He's, oh, no, he's, he's, he's been around he, for a while. He's 41. He's already 41? He's already 41. Jesus Christ. That's so. his reported age. And, I mean, the guy's already made a ton of money, so 41 years old and already going to be a Hall of Famer. He probably doesn't want to go on another playoff run, but in the Angels... Could have been the team. They do have a good lineup. Could have been the right opportunity. But unfortunately, they just think they're going to be better off without his services. So that was some big baseball news that just happened. Him getting released. And also, this year, compared to other years, it seems like there's been a lot more no-hitters than usual. I don't know what it is, whether it's the ball. They seem like every year they say the ball is juiced, the ball is not juiced, the ball is different this season, it's different that season. But there's already been four no-hitters, I believe. There just was another one. We're not even a quarter of the way through the season and a guy by the name of Wade Miley, who used to be a member of the Boston Red Sox, just pitched a no-hitter as well. So we've seen him throw a no-hitter at the beginning of the season. We saw one in San Diego. We saw another one. And then we just saw another one last. Who was the last one before Miley? We saw... Um, um, well, Rodon had Rodon one, had one for Chicago. And then there was, another, there was another guy as well. Yeah, well, for the Padres, what's his name? Musgrove. As well. Yeah, Musgrove threw one. And then I forget who the fourth one was, but... Connor, what do you think it is? John think, Means for Baltimore, did you say Yeah, that? John Means. It was John Means. There you go. So those four guys, and I'm sure a lot of you haven't even heard of these names because John Means is a pitcher that's on the Baltimore Orioles, not a high market, but what do you think it is? More no-hitters this season? Is it is it because the hitters just aren't hitting yet? Or? I, I don't know what it is. Um, last, I mean, you mentioned it last year. They were talking about all oh, these balls of juice, these balls of juice because there's so many yeah. home runs, and now there's so many no-hitters that now I'm hearing, not from you, Justin, but I'm hearing from... Outside, like, oh, ball, these balls are dead. We're playing with dead balls. Like, it, it, baseball just has this weird. I don't know if it's the fans. I don't know if it the the fans are actually right, but it's weird. But it is what it is at this point. Um, I think I think you just have to give credit to the pitchers because I think a no hitter is, it's it's a very, not accomplishable. I think it's a, I think it's an outstanding feat to go yeah. nine full complete innings, not allow a single hit. 
I get he might have an error or a walk or something like that. I mean, people have lost games on no-hitters. It's insane. There are, there are some insane baseball stats, but no-hitter is a very, very, um, very high honor to have. And John Means, Carlos Rodon, and it's Joe Musgrove and the other player you mentioned, Justin, I can't remember. I just can't get all four because there have been so many. And we got Rodon, we got Musgrove, we got Wade Miley. Wade Miley was we the got John Means. Yeah, so not even really big-time names. I mean, especially Wade Miley. is a guy that has an ERA close to 4.50 in his career. Wasn't even that good with the Red Sox, and now you see him throwing no-hitters. So you really never know. And the thing that amazes me, two of these four no-hitters could have really been perfect games. One of them was a wild pitch strikeout. The guy just got on base. He ran right. first base. And then I believe another one that was just one hit by pitch, and it would have been a yep. perfect game. Exactly, exactly. So you really never do know. I mean... These two could have easily turned into perfect games just as easily. Easily. And that should and that should tell you about how rare a perfect game is. The last perfect game we had was Mother's Day, um, almost twelve years ago, Dallas Braden. Yeah, and another name that really wasn't a great pitcher. Now he's he's broadcasting, you see him on ESPN. So it seems like a lot of the guys that you're not familiar with bless me, but he's a big podcaster on Barstool. Yeah, I mean so, so some of these guys weren't even they had a cup of tea in the majors and that was in, they throw a no hitter and that was the highlight of their career and the guys, like I said now, Wade Miley, Rodon's not the best pitch in the world. He's having a good season. So these guys are throwing no-hitters. I don't know. I don't really think it's the batters aren't as good because these guys are major leaguers. They hit the ball well. seems like the offense is even better than it was last season. But guys are throwing no-hitters now. It could be a cause of last season, all the COVID stuff going on. Some of these guys were in and out, not playing as many games, just readjusting to things. But I think it easily could continue, to be honest with you, because the pitching's so good. I I mean we'll see I we'll see I'm definitely interested I definitely think the bats are cold just because this is the first 162 game grind again, um some teams might be dogging it like the Dodgers right now last time I checked they were like 18 and 17 that was on Sundays so I mean we'll see, um I would like to see if this continues into um the later parts of May let's get into June and July let's see what the no hitter count is at see, yeah see what it compares to we'll keep the no hitter track on the bottom left of the screen and let you guys know. So we're at four right now, and we'll see if we stay at four for the rest of the season. But, so that was a pretty big baseball news. John Rook on the show, we really appreciate it. But before we get off here, we've got about 10 to 15 minutes left. The playoffs are approaching us. We'll save the NHL for last because that's actually approaching us this week. The NBA playoffs are coming next week. The season winding down. The Celtics, it's at a commercial right now, but I believe it's close to being tied up between the Celtics and the Heat. It's coming down to the wire for a lot of these teams. The Pelicans look like they're not going to make the playoffs. The New York Knicks having their best season, it seems like, in forever. So, Connor, with about one week to go, three or four games left for most of these teams, what are you most looking forward to in this final stretch run as the NBA playoffs are approaching us with the regular season winding down? There's nothing I'm looking forward to than watching the New York Knicks continue to play basketball as we get into the playoffs. As we get into May and June, the New York Knicks are going to keep playing basketball. And that's my favorite part about this whole thing. <sighs> right now, as it stands, the New York Knicks are 38-30, and 30, a half game up on Atlanta as, as the four seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, Milwaukee is the three seed, so we look pretty locked up. Um, I think we're like six games behind Milwaukee. There's no chance we get up there. So right. we're look, look, looking like to lock in as the four seed and get some home games in the playoffs and then probably end up playing Philly. First and the second round, but if we can't look to that, we gotta look to the first round getting home court advantage. And it looks like right now it's either gonna be Atlanta or Miami because Boston, Boston's two games behind Miami right now is the seventh seed, and it looks like Boston's gonna have to play the play-in game. Justin, yeah, that's not gonna be good. And with the Jalen Brown injury, things aren't looking the best. But I mean, Boston does. Boston, I feel like does have an advantage in the play-in though, because I mean, you you're looking at teams like Charlotte where they're. Not that great. Indiana, yeah, not that great. And Washington might be the only team. Yeah, and that's definitely going to be interesting because right now the Celtics have a seven seed. Most likely they're going to end up as a seven seed. Looking at the standings on both sides, though, one to ten, it's not official yet, but it's close to being official that these are going to be the ten teams on the east side, the ten teams on the west side, because right now all the other teams are eliminated in the east besides the Chicago Bulls. They're two and a half games behind Washington, but I don't see Chicago passing Washington in the standings. No. So most likely in the play-in, it's going to be the Celtics, Charlotte, Indiana, and Washington. Like you said, the Hornets don't scare me at all. The Pacers don't scare me at all. So if the Celtics play one of them, they're most likely going to be in the regular playoffs. But I don't want to see Washington in the first playing game. That would definitely scare me with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal playing the way that they're playing. And then another interesting thing, you look at the Western Conference standings, and everybody is eliminated except 
Sacramento and the Pelicans are still technically in it, but the Kings are three games behind San Antonio, so I think it's going to be really tough for them to get in. The Pelicans are two and a half games back behind the Spurs as well, and right now, Williamson and Ingram aren't even completely healthy, so it's going to be hard for them to pass the Spurs. The playing games in the Western Conference are going to be very interesting to me because right now the 7 and 8 seeds are the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, and Memphis is a good team at 9 as well, so I think the playing teams in the West are going to be better than the East. And these could be one-game eliminations for teams like the Grizzlies and teams like the Spurs. So these are good teams in the NBA, teams that are over 500, and it's going to be interesting to see who they end up playing with one week to go. Oh, certainly. I'm looking at those West. I mean, looking at the Western Conference as a general. I mean, those eight teams, those ten teams, those are those are very good basketball teams, and we're going to see how it's going to kind of shake up. And those playing games are going to be really fun out in the West. Um, I f- I feel very much very safe that I my team the Knicks don't have to play a playing game because that is incredibly frustrating yeah. to play a full season and have it ride on maybe maybe two games but you know it's um that's the way it is for this season um it probably won't extend into next season I don't think just because you got guys like LeBron calling it out and yeah. the Lakers potentially having to play a playing game they play the Knicks tonight so there's no guarantee the Lakers finish out where they are. I don't know where they are. I think they're like sixth or something. Yeah, they're si- They're The Lakers are actually, I think they're ninth right now. Ninth? Because Portland passed them. Or eighth. Are they eighth? No, seventh. They're seventh. They're seventh at the state. Portland's a game and a half up on they're them, so game and a half they might not up. even make it. So it looks like they're going to be locked into the seventh seed. They're two and a half up on Golden State with, and they have four games left. So, yeah. I mean, but... I think they're going to lose tonight to the Knicks. So, I mean, anything's possible. Anything can happen. Yeah, and the season's winding down, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this final week. But, again, a lot of these teams haven't been healthy. The Celtics with a Jalen Brown injury. LeBron hasn't been healthy for the Lakers. Anthony Davis hasn't been healthy for the most part for the Lakers either. But right now in the East, it would really surprise me if it's not Brooklyn or Philly or Milwaukee coming out of the East when it's all said and done. And then on the Western Conference side of things, we were talking about this last week, but I think it's a lot more open. I could see a team like the Clippers, even if the Lakers are healthy, the Blazers are a team that I don't think they're going to make the finals, but they have the talent to get to the Western Conference Finals, in my opinion. And then the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns, the two surprise teams at the top of the West, playing their asses off the entire 72-game season. So, in my opinion, the Western Conference is a little more wide open, but the Jazz and Suns, I just still can't believe they've, they've done it for the whole entire stretch. I know. Yeah. It's, it's um, a testament to those two teams, and con- congratulations to both um, for being a top dog in the West. I mean... Th- the, even to run through the regular season in the Western Conference is a gauntlet. You have to, you got to know that coming in. You got to have your A game almost every night. And we'll see if that has a wear on them in the playoffs. I personally don't buy into Utah and their, and their hype at all still. Yeah. I still have a lot of questions about, I like Don Mitchell a lot. I just have questions about Gobert and the rest of his supporting cast and what those guys can do when the, when the going gets tough. Um, but I, st- I like Phoenix a lot. I like Chris Paul. I like Devin Booker, um, and I like a lot of those role players. So we're we're gonna have to see, we're gonna have to see how this Western Conference plays out, man, and where these seedings lie because it's there's a lot of teams in the West that can come out of there. Yeah, I mean Chris Paul has basically changed the complexion of that team this season. Big addition, like I mentioned last week, Jay Crowder, big addition. But I agree with you, the Utah Jazz. I mean, can they really bring it in the playoffs like they've been doing in the regular season? Donovan Mitchell has been pretty hurt for the last month or so. And you see guys like Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson, they're going to have to step up. But really, both of them have not shot the ball well lately. They just lost to Golden State, by the way, last night. And then can Joe Ingles and can Bogdanovich really keep it up in the playoffs like they've been doing in the regular season? The defensive intensity is going to be much better for a lot of these teams in the playoffs. So I don't know. And to contain Rudy Gobert is going to be a problem. But I don't think Utah is going to be able to keep it up. It was a good regular season. It'll be interesting to see if Donovan Mitchell can get healthy. But... The Western Conference, in my opinion, is going to be more interesting to see what happens in the East. I'm just looking forward to seeing how far the Knicks can go. I am, I'm just excited to watch playoff basketball finally and to have it mean something. Um, and, I mean, I'm already hearing rumors about this, this summer and potential free agents to look at. I'm like, I don't want to hear any of that. I want this Knicks team focused on June because um, I think this team's potential is sky's the limit. They, yeah, I definitely. Mean, I mean, they're... They're a defensive-oriented team. We haven't seen a ton of those that really thrive and really buy into it like the Knicks have done. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Celtics currently trailing the Miami Heat 62-56 at halftime. So if we lose this game, 
we're close to being a walk in the playing game. And if the Knicks win tonight and we lose, the Celtics will be in the playing game. So And the Knicks will clinch a, crazy. Clinch a playoff spot finally. We haven't clinched yet. Not officially. So we got to win tonight. A must win for the Knicks. A must win for the Celtics. But before we end the show tonight, the NHL playoffs are much closer than the NBA. Well, not much closer, but Saturday is the start of the Bruins series. I think they either start on Friday or Saturday. I'm not quite sure. The Bruins are playing their final game of the regular season right now against the Washington Capitals, all tied up at one game apiece. The game is meaningless, and the reason for that is because the Bruins and Capitals have already been decided who they're playing in the playoffs. Saturday night, 7-15 on NBC, Game 1, the Boston Bruins at the Washington Capitals. I'm very excited for this series. I'm sure Jared Kessel, who's been on the show before, is excited for the series as well. Two teams that have been playing very good hockey all season. Taylor Hall has been a massive addition for the Bruins. Connor, you get the Bruins on one side with that first line with Marshan, Bergeron, Pashnak. But then you look at the Capitals and you got the old friends Zdeno Chara over there. You got one of the best players in all of hockey, Alexander Ovechkin. You get some other good players like Backstrom, Kuznikov. I mean, there's stars on both of these teams. Who do you think is going to win this series? The Capitals have the home ice advantage, but the Bruins are playing hot right now. Only two points separate them in the standings, and they're playing each other in the first round. That's going to be a tough, dude. You got two dogs over here. You got, you got Alexander Ovechkin. You got John. And you got Tom Wilson, who we all know um, has been causing up a ruckus. And you got a lot of good players on the um, Capitals. I can't believe I just blanked on that. You got TJ Oshie. You got Ovechkin. You got Samson Avinet. You got, obviously, got some very good players. And then you got... Boston Bruins, that dominant first line. You got Taylor Hall in the second line, and Pasta. Pasta's been performing since he's been back since Taylor Hall has come. I think he just needed a little bit of talent next to him. I think we all need that a little bit in life. Sometimes we all need a little help. So I think the Boston Bruins are in a very good spot. I think they're one of the hottest teams in the NHL right now. Um, I'm gonna take the Bruins, and if it if it has to go six or seven, just because the Caps have talent, so be it. But I don't see, I don't see the bees. Getting bounced in the first round. No. It just, it just doesn't feel right. Before the addition of Taylor Hall, I could have said maybe. But I think I think the Bruins win this series in six games. Wouldn't be surprised if it goes seven. I think the advantage for the Bruins is mainly going to be the goaltending. I think the Bruins have the better goaltending in the series. Tuka Rask has been playing better as of late. And now you get a stud in Jeremy Swayman. I don't know if he's going to get time in the series. But if Tuka Rask does play bad, you do have a great backup with Jeremy Swayman. A young player in his early 20s. Two very good goalies on one side for the Bruins. And like you said, the addition of Taylor Hall has changed the Bruins' second line. The defense is getting healthy. It looks like they're almost going to be 100% for the playoffs, if not 100%. So I think the Bruins win this series. So you're looking at two very good teams there. And then you got your New York Islanders, Connor. First round, they're going to be facing the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if I'm you, I'd be scared shitless right now. I'm I'm not too scared. Listen, I know Pittsburgh went on a run in the second half of the season, and they're one of the harder teams too. Because if you looked at the All Star break, Pittsburgh was kind of third or fourth in yeah. the in the standings, and Islanders were kind of first or second with fighting with the Capitals. The Capitals ended up second, but the thing is, the Islanders finished went on a skid and finished fourth, and Pittsburgh jumped everyone and went to first still. So they've been on. They're hot, so, but I'm not too worried. I think the Islanders are a playoff team i think they're they're a team that's built to last in the playoffs that are a defensive minded team they need to get yeah. they need to get back to that they need to get back to these one goal games they can't be allowing more than two goals a night if they like i like i was telling you guys a couple weeks ago when we we're talking about this if the Islanders allow three goals they're not going to win the game it's just they don't have the offense to generate it like that i'm going to take pittsburgh in six in the series i just think crosby and malkin are going to end up being way too much for the defense to handle I could see the Islanders maybe making it a seven-game series, but that Islanders defense, they got to be good. They're not going to contain Crosby, Malkin, Gunso, and all those special guys on that offense, but you're going to have to contain them a little bit if you want to have a shot to beat them because Crosby and Malkin, two of the best players in the game. Certainly. I just, I just think you, we have to stretch the series. If we can stretch the series to six, seven games, I think we got a good chance. There's no way we quickly take care of Pittsburgh if we do. So that's the East. Then you look at the North right now, and you got you got Toronto. They clinched the one seed with 76 points, and then Edmonton clinched the two because they already have 70. And then Winnipeg and Montreal are battling for the three and four seeds, but I don't think Winnipeg and Montreal really have too much of a chance when you have guys like McDavid, 
Marner, Hyman, Tavares on the Maple Leafs and the Oilers, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't one of those top two teams in Winnipeg or Montreal came in the semifinals in the NHL. I think Toronto and Edmonton are just going to be too tough regardless of who they play again. It's not finalized yet because we got to see what happens to Winnipeg and Montreal with their final game, but Toronto and Edmonton, I think, are going to be too tough to stop. I mean, I like Winnipeg. I, I, I'm not saying they're going to come out of there. I don't want to write them off, though. I think they got a really good goaltending in Hellebuck. I think Shaifili is a very good forward. Yeah, he is. Um, so I think they got a lot of potential in that team. Um, but we'll, I know they kind of skidded in the second half. They were really hot in the first half. They were right up there in the standings with Toronto and Edmonton, but kind of tailed off a little bit. So, I mean, we'll see. Um, Toronto's been the top dog. I like Toronto a lot. I have, I'm rooting for the city of Toronto on this one just because... I'd like to see them. I'd like, I would like to see it. The Maple Leafs have had a lot of heartbreak, and they have, they have a lot of talent on that roster. Um, they've had a lot of experience. Yeah, they've had a ton of experience. So, I mean, it would be fun to get have them matched up with the Bruins at some point because it seems like the rivalry's gotten better over the years. And then bouncing back and forth, we get the Central Division, not even finalized yet because Carolina, they get the one seed, and Florida has the two seed, Tampa Bay has the three seed. You know what? It is finalized because Dallas did lose. So Nashville is the four seed. So that division is pretty exciting at the top. Nashville's going to be playing Carolina in the first round, and I, I don't see Nashville being able to beat them. Carolina's improving season by season, the first line, the second line. Their goaltending has been good, too. Nashville's a team that could be sneaky good. I just don't think they've had it consistently enough this season. I agree, but I was just talking to my brother, who's a very good listener of the show, Max, if you're listening. Um, he just told me today, uh, Nashville beat Carolina last night, 5 nothing. Yeah, they did. So, I mean... Anything can there happen. were some players out in the game for Carolina, but there were, there were. I mean, Carolina's going to rest some guys, obviously, because they're they've been the top dog all season long, eighty five points. I think they're second in the league behind maybe Vegas, or they might be number one. Yeah, tied with Vegas actually. So they've been they've been very good all year long. So I I anticipate Carolina's going to take care of Nashville. Nashville has been up and up and down all year. I expect. Carolina take care of business. And then the other series, you got the Florida, a Florida team that surprised a lot of people this season. 79 points, 37, 14, and 5. Facing the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's a battle of Florida. I this is an exciting series. I could see this really going either way. Tampa Bay is not playing as good as they were last season, but don't forget, this is the defending Stanley Cup champions. They still have most of that team back. This Florida team wasn't expected to do good. Can they win the series? They can, but I, I just don't think they're going to beat Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay is still a little too tough. But I think this series is going to go seven games and Tampa Bay is going to win it in game seven. I like Florida. I, I love, I've been watching this team this year because um, participating in fantasy hockey and I have Bobrovsky as one of my goalies. He's very good. I love this Florida team a lot. I think they're fast. I think they're talented. I think this Tampa team is a little bit different than the teams we saw last year in the Cup and the teams before that. Um, that being said, if Kucherov comes back, I think... Um, Completely throw out the window everything I just said because Tampa will win that if they have one of the best players in hockey back on their roster. But if Kucherov is not going to play in the first round, man, I really like Florida. I like what they're doing. It's, it's going to be the Battle of Florida, and that's one of the most exciting first-round series. And then finally, in the final division, we got Vegas, and we got Colorado, we got Minnesota, and we got St. Louis. St. Louis finally clinched that four seed, so... The 2-3 matchup is Colorado against Minnesota, a Minnesota Wild team that kind of started off slow but been playing better lately. And then the Colorado Avalanche, we were, we were told at the beginning of the season they were going to be good from Jared Kessel, from Mike Craddy, from some other hockey guys. But this Minnesota Wild team can't be taken lightly. I don't really, I don't really know who's going to come out on top in this series, but I think I have to stick with my gut. And it seems like every day Mike Craddy's telling me he's in love with this Colorado Avalanche team. So I'll go with the Avalanche, but Minnesota's pretty good. I think the Avalanche will win in six. I think I think the Avalanche will, they'll do their due diligence here and they'll take care of business. Um, I I like this Avalanche team a lot. Um, the more I watch them, um, I just I just fall in love with that first line a lot. Landis Cog and Nathan McKinnon. I mean those guys work hand in hand with one another, and um, it's really beautiful to watch them operate. Um, I think they got good goal, good goaltending and Grubauer. Um, I just think that's a solid team. I think they're one of my. I don't want to say they're my favorite to win the cup, but I think they're one of the teams when I, they're one of the teams I say, yeah, they could definitely do it this year. Watch out for them, definitely. And then the final matchup in the first round, Vegas, 80 points, facing off against the St. Louis Blues, 59 points. Definitely the biggest point differential in the first round series. Vegas is a team that's been very hot, it seems like, basically the whole season. If I could have 
the playoffs going any way. I'd love the St. Louis Blues to win this. I'd love the St. Louis Blues to get matched up with the Boston Bruins. I want the rematch. I'm still thinking about being on that cruise. I think I was in Bermuda at the time. St. Louis Blues knocking off the Bruins in Game 7. I went straight to my room that night. Boy, I was so upset. I couldn't believe it. But I want the Blues to match up with the Bruins in the finals, but I just don't see them getting out of the first round this season. It's going to be a tough. They've had a, they've had a really tough year. Bennington has been, wow, one of the more inconsistent goalies I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of those guys who are a lot of key pieces on that St. Louis Blues team are getting older. I know they brought in Tory Krug. That was kind of a mixed bag. And kind of, he kind of got better as the season went on. He, he was a little bit injured, but they've had a tough go at it this year. Um, and they're going to run into a Vegas team that, frankly, has been one of the hottest teams in the NHL all year long. They signed the top. They signed the top free agent last year, Niedermeyer, on defense. And they have been unstoppable in the most part because their goaltending has been absolutely unreal with Lenner and Marc-Andre Fleury. It's been and, good the whole time, really. And I anticipate that they're going to continue to continue to excel. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, Bruins Capitals Saturday night. Playoffs are finally here. Obviously, they're only 56 games this season and went by extremely fast. But hopefully the Bruins can have a better postseason run than they've had in recent memory. Obviously, get into the finals a couple seasons ago against the Blues. That didn't go as planned in Game 7. But, Connor, I'm looking forward to the NHL playoffs. We'll break it down more next week when Jake's on the show for all his NHL input that he can give to us. But... It was a pleasure having John Rook on the show tonight. We really appreciated it. For those of you that didn't hear it, I'll be sharing it either tonight or tomorrow. But John Rook gave us some great input about a lot of different things. We'll have some more guests in the future. Jake's currently at the Celtics game right now, but he'll be back next week for week 38, all the balls. Connor, thanks for being on the show tonight. I had a good time. It was awesome. I had a great time talking to John Rook, and I appreciate the little tidbits and awesome, interesting new stories. I got to hear about some of my favorite NBA players and some of my favorite college players. Yeah, it was definitely good. Giving us a ton of input on the show, John, if you're listening. Hopefully, we can be on t- in touch in the near future. But once again, I'm Justin Miller. That's Connor Howe. Jake Platter will be back next week for Week 38. All the balls. Celtics in a must-win situation tonight. Hopefully, the Bruins can get their series with the Capitals start on the right note on Saturday. We'll see you next week for Week 38. Good night. Go next.